Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. This conversation recorded a couple of weeks ago with Barrister and Legal Officer with Threshold Gavin Elliott to discuss what we were told was unconstitutional, couldn't be done. Yes, the winter moratorium or eviction ban as we prefer to call it. Uh, we look at how overcrowding is framed in it and yet not counted in other reports that the government act on and the differences that that may make to people's housing security. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. If you can, please go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise and join us. The link is in the podcast you're listening to right now. Uh, for a couple of quid, you get access to these pods as quickly as I can turn them around in one feed. And you don't have to listen to me ask you for support. They are completely plea free. Any help at all is greatly appreciated. One more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise And I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and we are back as promised. Um, Martin, we're going to start on a positive today. So so in positive positive terms, it's good to see you on a Monday. And you're, you're, yesterday you, you couldn't quite make it to the Sunday show, but here you are again, fresh, yes. fresh for the fight. I, I actually haven't been to bed since then, believe it or not. Well, I've, you've no, I've no sympathy for you. Do, you. do you want to just say what you published yesterday, just for the benefit of listeners? Just a quick, just give me give me 30 seconds what you published. I published a reply to the DPC that exposes 30 years of corruption in employment law in Ireland. There you go. It's a pretty heavy thing and it's it's all over social media. We will be doing a follow-up piece on it. But um, as I think I said to you, the comment I made to you was that most people won't even realise that how how much work and what what you've actually done oh, but yeah. a, but a lot of people will stand to benefit from it so so that's so there you go that's as high praise as I'll ever give you I <laughs> <generally>. <laughs> anyway on with the show uh oh quick reminder tickets are still available on eventbrite.ie for our live show in Ballymun uh in November Go in there, throw in tortoise shack and come along and see all of your favorite faces and unfortunately some of the ones you don't like um Anyway, we are delighted to be rejoined on the podcast by legal officer with Threshold, Gavin Elliott. Gavin, how are you keeping? And thanks for talking to us again. Thanks very much. I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah, listen, um, we the last time you were on, you were on the Sunday show when we were talking about what the situation was around rent, around protections and, and you know, all of the things that we were told, again, couldn't be done. And let's start with the positives here. We were told we couldn't have a an eviction ban. And lo and behold, we're getting an eviction ban, Gavin. So, so tell us, you know... This is surely a good move by the government now at this stage. Absolutely. I mean, look, any anything that adds protection to to renters, particularly this winter, is is something to be welcomed. Um, as you say, there was uh, the the stance from the government for a long time was that it couldn't be done, that it was unconstitutional. Um, that position, I think, was probably. Um, uh, something that an awful lot of legal practitioners, academics didn't necessarily agree with. So it's very positive that the government has decided to introduce this ban. Um, and um, some of the details, maybe, perhaps, um, are things that uh, we might have a little bit of concern about. But overall, um, a very positive move. Can I can I ask, is it, they don't actually say ban, though. Sure, they don't. They say moratorium. Yeah, no, absolutely. So... A lot of people will be familiar with the moratoriums during COVID. Um, this is slightly different, um, slightly different in the way it works. Um, and it's, uh, I think, in fairness, it, it's it's quite a confusing um, bill and it's quite a confusing scheme that they've they've come up with. But um, but yeah, the 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 long and short of it is that um, people with notices of termination which fall due during what is being called the winter emergency period will have their uh, termination dates deferred 
to another date, <clears throat> sometime, some of them as late as um, as June 2023. So um, the, the ins and outs of it um, are going to be quite, uh, maybe a little bit difficult for people to follow because it depends on dates and it depends on all sorts of things. But um, but yeah, the, the it's a, it's a moratorium really rather than a than a ban. It's um, it's deferring things for a certain period of time. And um, is and and okay. Before we get into that fudge and maybe pick a, pick apart some of the pieces, what are the 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 strengths in the, in it though? Like what what are the good things that maybe is there anything different in terms of what we learned from when we were able to do this during the COVID pandemic to when we're doing it for what what you're calling a winter emergency? What you've called a winter emergency? Well, the 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 big one, I suppose, is that it 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 tackles the the main um, the main grounds for eviction that are used. Um, so, uh, sale is obviously the big one in threshold. We'd see an awful lot of notices of termination for sale, um, and that's something that this um, this moratorium sort of directly tackles in terms of you know uh, if you have notice of termination for sale between two dates, then that's deferred, um, and it will give people a certain amount of, you know, protection and a certain amount of uh, reassurance uh, during winter, particularly with things like the cost of living increases, but also the the abject lack of emergency accommodation at the moment. So the um, accommodation for people who are experiencing homelessness is um, it has failed, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's a really fair comment, and I think we've we've seen that, and it's actually a worrying trend. We've seen, you know. Threshold obviously would obviously on the basis of what the work was done is obviously preventing people from going into homelessness was the best thing to stop the sort of the impact of homelessness. And now here we are where where we're seeing what we've been talking about for years, which but the state only talked about last week, and it was late last week, but it went, oh, we've new data that shows people from the private rental sector are are making up the bulk of people going into into homelessness. Gavin, we knew all this, didn't we? It's been the case all along. Certainly, um, you know, the main drive for homelessness has always been the, the private rent sector and the insecurity in the private rent sector. Um, I suppose what's what's changed maybe in the last couple of months is um, that we're seeing uh, an increase in the discrimination. We're seeing an increase in evictions into homelessness, but we're not seeing the state being able to cope with those numbers. Um, so. We've seen a, maybe a, a change of attitude from some local authorities. This is something that we spoke about in a, at an Iraqis committee recently, where um, some local authorities are, are maybe putting in place sort of uh, procedural barriers that wouldn't have been there before. So they're asking people to challenge notices where that wouldn't have necessarily been the case before. Um, and that's completely understandable from, from the point of view of frontline uh, staff in local authorities because they don't necessarily have anywhere for people to go, um, but it it does. Um, I suppose it does indicate that there really isn't any capacity left in the um, in terms of emergency accommodation. So that's I think one of the the reasons why this moratorium has been introduced is that um, you know from from the point of view of the government they they have to do something to stop that um, that the people entering into homelessness or people entering into homeless services. But even with that, Gavin, this is probably, am I right in saying this is probably the worst it has ever been? And there is no cavalry coming over the hill. There's this, this is cross your fingers and hope 
that you I, get through can, the winter. Can I actually be again? I'm going to try to be positive again. There are some things that have happened whereby now you can, the government can a, have given the powers local authorities to buy some of the properties if they're going to sell them, so the tenant is unaffected. You know, the, some of those things can happen. They've put a budget aside, which and Gavin, you know, we, we we've been calling for that for years, and 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 so you know that means that if someone is selling out from under the tenant, Martin, the state can step in buy it. And the, and the tenant is unaffected and it becomes in effect a de facto social affordable home. But is it too little too late? Gavin. Yeah, that's that's the point, I think. I mean, in, in fairness to, to some of the people who were opposing the, the idea of a moratorium, um, and I think the Tonish just said, you know, if... Um, oh, he, 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 he went rogue. <laughs> went rogue. But, it, I mean, it, you know, it, to give him his due, I suppose, there's... Um, it was a good point, you know, what's, what's going to be different in March? Um, you know, if we have a, a, a moratorium, are we not just kicking the can down the road for a few months uh, where we'll have exactly the same situation emerging then? And that's and that's a reasonable point. I think, you know, the, the moratorium it does two things, really. It, it gives people, individuals, that kind of um, protection against uh, being made homeless this winter, but it also um, gives the state a little bit of time to it, deal with those. Yeah, but if we really wanted to deal with the issues, we'd, we'd have a three-year suspension on with, with, with grounds. And again, I think you would be very clear as well that if there's anti-social behaviour, if there was refusal to pay rents, if there was, you know, these exceptional circumstances, evictions should still be possible. I mean, there's... there's... Uh, yeah, I mean, and that was that was the case during the moratoriums as well with there was certain um, procedure in place for rent, but, <clears throat> and, you know, anti-social behaviour was always an aspect of the, the, the moratoriums that... that where evictions were allowed, but um, I, I would also sort of be very clear that, you know, utter refusal to pay rent is different from inability to pay rent as well. Exactly. And I think that's what, why I was what I was talking about, where there's no, I mean, we have situations where we've seen people who lost their jobs during the pandemic and now are coming out the other end with rent arrears and they're finding it very hard to catch up. There should be, a, there should be some sort of facility similar to the, to the I hate to say it, but the, um, the mortgage uh, arrears system where they where they worked out a way of actually phasing working this out and the state will have to step up if they have to because it's cheaper to bloody reduce those arrears than deal with someone showing up at Park Gate Street and presenting as homeless. I, I'm sorry, but it's just really frustrating when when we don't have that joined up thinking. You raised an interesting point as well, though, on social media about the unintended consequences of 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 this. And you spoke about the overcrowding and 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 that. Do you mind giving listeners a, a little insight into that? Because, you know, not to sound very uh, Leo Varadkar about this, but he often, often likes to say, well, the unintended consequences may be. So, so, so go on, tell us what, yeah. why you have the concern there. So I suppose <clears throat> one of the unexpected um, exemptions to, to the bill was, um, was the inclusion of overcrowding as one of the grounds where you could still evict a person. So um, I think everybody expected, you know, antisocial behaviour and um, willful non-payment of rent to be um, exemptions, but the, the inclusion of overcrowding took us a little bit by surprise. And I suppose the reason for that is that, you know, it, it's not one of the grounds in the Residential Tenancies Act that's used very often, but it is one that isn't really very well worked out or well, very well defined. We have a very old definition of overcrowding in Irish law, which goes back to 1966. That definition is contains an awful lot of assumptions. Um, it contains a lot of um, maybe very dated assumptions. Um, it talks about you know 
it's how it's different if you're living together as husband and wife and all sorts of things and children over 10. And, you know, so that's not a particularly good definition of overcrowding. And if that's going to be used then as a grounds for eviction during the moratorium, then, you know, that would obviously be a concern. The other aspect that I found personally I'd have a problem with in terms of overcrowding is um, more of a conceptual one. You know, no, it's very difficult to define overcrowding and often overcrowding is kind of culturally specific as well. So I know, for example, in New Zealand, there's been a lot of debate over their definition of overcrowding because they, the Maori people have kind of said, well, you are imposing a white European definition of how people should live onto us. And then you're saying that if we're not doing that, then we're somehow not the norm. You're, you know, so there is that sort of suggestion maybe in the literature about whether definitions of overcrowding are the imposition of a sort of uh, you know, majority cultural norm on communities who live somewhat differently. And I think certainly, you know, Ireland is is a country that's changing with an awful lot of inward. We are an outlier though when it comes to overcrowding. We like I mean most other countries will have a statutory definition of whatever overcrowding yeah. is. They will have a way of checking if your household is 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 overcrowded. You, you know, a, a facility for doing it. Sorry Martin, I know you wanted to comment. I just wanted to put the flip side in that coin in that and you were saying that it's 1966, but we are we are at overcrowding levels that we haven't seen in thirty years in in people's homes. I mean, we have three generations of families, maybe four. You know, three, certainly three generations of families living on top of each other in maybe a council house or or maybe in a social estate. So there is the other side to overcrowding where it's quite acceptable for the state to accept overcrowding when it's when it's yeah. keeping numbers down. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, an awful lot of people living in overcrowded conditions simply because they can't afford anywhere else. You know, even um, at the sort of mid to high end of the market, you can get an awful lot of people squeezed into a very small um, dwelling simply because, you know, they they don't have the the resources to find anywhere else to live. Um, And absolutely, you know, uh, where there's obvious overcrowding, that's not something that it's in any way tolerable, but the definition that we have is possibly one where you may have landlords saying, well, this is technically overcrowded, where the people might not experience that as overcrowding. So, you know, the the, tech, the definition we have talks about airspace inhabitable and sleeping yeah. chambers and this sort of thing. So, you know, we don't have a situation where... Um, you know, have, you could have you could have a landlord say that it's inadequate, and we and they can force an eviction. And it, it is it is it's, again back to those unintended consequences. But I do think it's the height of hypocrisy that we're talking about overcrowding, and yet in our homelessness figures, outside international norms, we don't include people who are in overcrowded accommodation as as being homeless. You know what I mean? Like so so it's it's a, it, we want we want it both ways. Uh, there is the, am I am I am I incorrect in that? No, no, absolutely. And uh, to further confuse matters, the, the way that the CSO measures overcrowding is different from the, the statutory definition of overcrowding as well. So there's it's kind of an international standard mm. definition, which statisticians use, which is then different from the, the legal definition as well. So it's very difficult to, to work out uh, how many, how much overcrowding we have, because you can be overcrowded according to the CSO, but not according to the law. And that, yeah, so... But the, I mean, the definition that we have at the moment <clears throat> talks about two people 
of opposite sexes who are over 10 having to share a room and this sort of thing. So, you know, you can have situations where, um, you know, you're, you have two children sharing a room. It wasn't overcrowded last year. They're now 11, so it is overcrowded. And, um, you know, there's a lot of assumptions, as I said, uh, maybe yeah. 1960s assumptions in that definition, which are debatable. Can I ask you, Gavin, what were the what were the big misses? What would you like to have seen? In the in the moratorium, I think yeah. it, what would have been very useful is for there to have been a scheme in place to deal with the rent arrears um, that will build up due to people becoming um getting into housing debt because of the, the cost of living increases. So if people are getting um, you know, double or triple their electricity bills, if everything is going up, you know, you could have situations where people are falling into debt. The one of the ostensible purposes of the moratorium was to deal with the cost of living aspect of it, but there really isn't much there to deal with the the, the rents that might fall, you know, into arrears during the, the moratorium. So we would have liked to have seen uh, you know a rent arrears fund, rent arrears scheme, something to actually sort of deal with that so that we're not coming out of a moratorium with people with you know two or three months rent and as as you said tony the the it's it makes no financial sense for the state to have somebody entering homeless services and you know then the state having to pay like, that like the, the the option here is maybe say three say clear three and a half grand worth of rent arrears or pay sixty eight thousand on average yeah. for for emergency accommodation i i've one other point though which i thought was quite Interesting. If you recall, when this was when the government were finally when the Tanishta went a little bit quieter and the Minister for Housing started to speak up and the Taoiseach found his voice and said, "We're going to do this." The uh, Irish Property Association, of, uh, representing small medium landlords, came out and said, "We're going to we're going to go and uh, sue." First of all, they can't because you know they can't. Have, but but an individual may be able to take that case. The idea then would be really was really interesting to me because. I remember sitting with um, the former minister, of the, uh, uh, master of the High Court, Ed Honahan, saying he'd love to see it tested, the right to property versus the right to common good. Would, am I am I wrong in saying this might be an opportunity that you know to to actually get it tested? <clears throat> yeah, certainly. I mean, there there could be an awful lot of unintended consequences for the uh, speaking of unintended consequences for the IPOA. Um, you know, if it, it, there's a danger there for them, I suppose, if they were to take a case to the High Court or. Supreme Court and uh, the courts were to say, no, that's absolutely fine. Uh, no issue with that whatsoever. Um, then um, once the courts give it the, the imperator, it um, then becomes, you know, a policy response, uh, part of the policy toolkit potentially forever. So um, the the aware perhaps um, would be well advised to think carefully about whether or not they want to challenge something because you could end up copy fastening it as, you know, um, 100 percent uh constitutional and i think most um most commentators would 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 kind of look at uh you know a proportionate balanced time limited ban on evictions as something that you know wouldn't necessarily raise um a massive concern that it might be un- unconstitutional obviously you know it will be up to the courts but um you know, there's been quite a few articles even in the irish times recently enough from from academics saying you know it, it, it would appear that this is probably fine. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Despite despite being told, you know, yeah. the, the, and on a, on a, the an advice of the attorney general, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> on the advice of a very well off landlord. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about the millionaire attorney general? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a multi million euro portfolio of investment but, property. But it, we do have to be serious about that too. That is kind of. You know, the essence of the problem is that we have a, a system that sets up that that benefits landlords or, or balances the equation more in favor of landlords than tenants. And we do have to be serious about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then certainly, you know, the, the, the right to private property has been something that's plagued and um, uh Housing legislation for 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 a very long time. You know, there's a, a, a senator Colette Gallagher when she was a senator commissioned from the uh, Maracas Library Research Service uh, a report which laid out I think it was maybe 17, 15, 17 pieces of legislation which had been um, banned or which had been responded to from by the government for saying that um, uh, by saying that it was unconstitutional. So, you know. The, where the constitution had been used as a as a sort of shield, just kill off um, progressive housing legislation. So it's it's very positive, I think, that we're seeing maybe the government being a little bit more imaginative. But we also, you know, have had uh, a very long time with the government saying that anything that even potentially would, you know, impose uh, upon private property rights is um, is unconstitutional, and they can't uh, they can't pass unconstitutional legislation. Is their view? Gavin Elliott, Legal Officer with Threshold, thank you very much indeed for coming on and having this conversation with us this morning. Uh, I hope you keep well. Hope you have a nice day, Gavin, and keep on rocking. Keep doing what you're doing. So, Thank folks, you. we are back uh, tomorrow. I don't know if you spoke. Well, it actually is all one of a piece. So we've been talking about the, the crisis in accommodation. We've seen where we went from a plan, a white paper, an ambitious white paper to, to abolish direct provision to now talking about how we charge people rent for for um, staying in direct provision. And now an article was published in the Irish Examiner by uh, their political editor, Danny McConnell, this, the, uh, this morning. And it's just factually incorrect. It's factually incorrect. And it, it's talking about, and don't take my word for it, take Wendy Lyons, human rights minister's <laughs> word for it. And Wendy will be joining us to talk about the, the problems that that's going to create and how it feeds a narrative of deserving refugees and undeserving refugees and how we need to push back against that. Because, you know, I spoke about it on the Sunday show, this racist hashtag that's been commandeered by the far right of Ireland is full uh, with 166,000 vacant properties with a quarter of that in, in holiday homes with, with about this 70,000 somewhere. We don't really know, honestly, we under derelict properties because the registers are all different and some of it's self-reporting. Don't give me that bullshit. Don't give me that bullshit. We'll be back when we're talking to Wendy as well. Thanks again to Gavin and Martin. It was good to see you. And uh, <laughs> we talked talk. yeah, yeah, I don't know what you, you, you people are doing up at this hour of the day. What is wrong with you all? Talk to you soon, folks. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on page.